This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. How are you, Max? I'm fine, thank you. And who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, we've got David uh, Moody for, with us today, and he's with us all the way from Australia, or New Zealand, sorry. Slightly better Australia. Uh, it's always fun to, 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 to make that mistake. They love it in New Zealand. They love it. God, um, you just, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, so he's got uh, a company there he's uh he founded it's called foundry lab and foundry lab is looking at investment casting sand molds die casting and all these uh kind of casting processes and i think they've got a better way and what they're doing is they're they're doing they developed their own casting technology that makes use of microwaves and the idea is that using a microwave they can do casting much faster uh than other people can and can then you make uh 3d printed intermediates and final products and that are cost effective and uh quicker in the turnaround time than other people so very exciting completely new startup also you, you know we know that uh uh it's it's, it's it's nice to see startups from very far away as well for companies that are all the way in Wellington trying to make it uh, globally. So that I think is a really good uh, thing. So uh, yeah, welcome. Welcome uh, to the show, David. Cheers. Thank you, Joris. So, so first off, Foundry Lab, uh, how did it, you worked previously, you worked in product design and stuff. And how did you at one point end up in a 3D printing startup? How did you end up like, what's, uh, how did you get started with this? Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, just, just clarifying New Zealand, not Australia. <laughs> I yeah, I I suppose I I studied the uh, the best or the worst degree, which is industrial design, um, and that kind of makes you think you can do anything. Uh, very dangerous. So I, I started a design consultancy, uh, worked in design for I don't know what it was, ten twelve years, um, doing a lot of mass manufacturing uh, uh, design, um, and really kind of. Came, came across a problem for my clients, and that, that was this whole area of die casting and getting, getting prototypes done. Yeah, I, I had clients wanting die cast parts designed, and then, and then once we'd done all the design work, and, and it's all designed obviously for mass manufacture and expensive tooling, um, then they would turn around and say, Well, can I have two? I want two parts to try, uh, or I've got to get certification, or whatever it was. And, and this was happening a lot. Um, and it was just very frustrating because then you have to explain to a client that a, that a die cast you don't get to. That's not the way die casting works. Um, and so yeah, just out of, out of pure frustration, decided one day that I, I had to fix the problem myself. So um, went into the shed, which is a very New Zealand, Australian thing, and, and just started messing around with, with all sorts of things, plaster of Paris and yeah, some, some weird chemicals, just trying to find ways of making molds really fast. I didn't intend to start a 3D printing company. I, I was trying to fix a client problem uh, and, and basically fluked my way, stumbled my way across something that, that really worked um, and sort of it grew from there. So yeah, an unintentional 3D printer. Are these, I'm curious, are these molds, I mean, because these are, you're, you're pouring metal into these molds, right? So are they, are they killing themselves in the process? Are they self-destructive uh, molds? Like they're only one-time use? No, no. So that's one of the one of the nice things about them is they're not they're reusable, um, and so that kind of gives us an advantage over a you know one of the sort of more generic sand printing 
um, molds. Um, and they also behave quite differently. So we're actually, we're able to get the sort of die cast geometry, you know, so thin wall, one millimeter wall is fine. And we, we get a, a lot of uh, long thin parts is no problem. So much more akin to a die cast. But are you using metal or, are you, or is it just to get a, a sense of what the part is? Uh, okay, so the, the, the molds are a ceramic. So it's a, it's a proprietary ceramic that, that as I say, I, I lucked my way across. Um, yeah. And so then we, we're actually not pouring. So that's, I guess, a major difference as well in what we're doing. So you, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll start from the beginning. explain the process how does this work (laughs) yeah gotcha okay so we we 3d print the mold so it's a it's a binder jetting machine that we've that we've invented um and it's it's fairly mostly fairly generic binder jetting so we we 3d print a mold in the ceramic uh it then gets processed under heat to make the mold last more than a single shot um and then what what we do is we take a what we're calling a slug so we've got a a piece of metal, a chunk of metal uh, that gets put into a, a reservoir that's designed into the mold. And then that whole thing is put into the microwave. So at this stage, everything's cold. There's, there's been no, there's no liquid metal anywhere. There's no heat. There's no fire. So you've got a mold. You've got a chunk of cold metal inside it. It's put into the microwave. And then you, you turn the microwave on and you walk away. And then I don't know how well this will come across on the, on the, <laughs> on the recording, but bing. You know, microwave's finished, you go back, you open the door, your, your parts, uh, the metal's melted into the part and cast the shape. And then you just unbolt the part, unbolt the mold, take your part out, uh, if your geometry, depending on geometry, and then bolt it back together, chuck, chuck another slug into it and, and go again. So I, I really, this is going to be a silly question, but I have to ask it. I thought we weren't supposed to put metal in the microwave, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 100%. You have to encase it in a special, like, I mean, I've seen some cool things where, where you, you can put metal into a container and then put it in the microwave to get, you know, pour metal out of it. Is that you're doing something cool it, like it, that? Yeah, similar, similar to that. We have a way of attenuating the microwave power so that we're not creating plasma or we avoid creating plasma. Um, well, that's no fun. Plasma is all the fun <laughs> of it, right? <laughs> well, I was going to say that we have, we have destroyed a lot of microwaves in the process. And I started I out, so this, this all kind of happened during lockdown. In New, New Zealand locked down pretty heavily for uh, COVID. So we were all, uh, all stuck at home. I, I had a microwave in the bath. I, I um, claimed the bathroom as mine. And the, the kids learned how to shower instead of bathing. And um, so the, the bath was my was my studio and so we had a microwave set up in there um and i killed microwaves we've we've got a a cupboard in the office that's full of dead microwaves the hall of fame but it's, it's like a lot more fun than my pandemic uh, experience <laughs> <laughs> you were killing microwaves i think i think my wife uh, was concerned but it, no it was good i'm sure <laughs> okay, so that's neat so then you so you use the microwave after you've printed the mold to then heat the metal and then it goes down and then you have your molded metal piece. Yeah, correct. So, on a small and, scale. Yeah. And I think, I think for, for me, the, the important thing was that, you know, my clients were trying to do die casting. So, you know, when they would ask for a couple of samples, our options were, well, you CNC machine a piece out of 6061 or whatever it was, um, or otherwise you 3D print uh, in aluminum. aluminum. Um, and, and neither of those actually gave us a die casting physically. 
And so that was all right sometimes, but I was getting more and more clients who were doing um, things that needed to be functionally tested. So let's say, um, you know, heat dissipation testing or, or it needs to be crashed into a wall for some reason. Oh, so like actual stress testing and making sure it can take the weight or whatever, what have you. Correct, correct. So, and so yeah. what I was finding was, and, and disclaimer, I, I do love 3D printing, but what I was finding was 3D printing was a thing, its own thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't for me working well as a, as a stand-in for a die casting. And right, so, which makes sense because you might have a like, a, yeah, the printer might choose to do like a lattice structure inside for the metal or something like that, and it's going to change. Yeah, the correct. Or, or if you look, right. if you look at the microstructure, the, you know, the crystalline structure of the metals when when you've done a sinter, it's it's quite different from the way a, a casting works, and not necessarily worse. In some cases, it's going to be much better because you don't have all these sort of vortexes around sharp edges and and things like that. But what my clients really needed was, well, how's this thing going to behave once I've spent all the money? you know, on a die casting tool. And I, I think right. for, a lot of, for a lot of the clients, spending a couple of hundred thousand dollars on a, on a tool and then getting your part and then finding out it's not going to work just wasn't an option, especially in New Zealand being a smaller country and there's, I guess, a bit less capital to throw it at, at ideas in R&D. So I think we're, for us... I'm curious, so were most of these clients going to other... Were they trying to do the casting in New Zealand? No, they going no after third I'd no. say okay, they're still going to normal manufacturing. Process. Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 But, but okay, so and and so you're doing this, you're still doing this kind of in your backyard house kind of thing. When did it kind of advance to becoming a little more serious? Were you able to just sell your first kind of prototype parts to people or what happened? No, no. So I guess this is part of the accidental the accidental side. So I, I was doing this very much trying to fix problems for my clients. Um and I had an investor ring me up out of the blue, a New Zealand company called WNT Ventures. And they kind of specialize in very early, um, very early ideas, investing, um, I guess, before it's properly proven. And they came down to look at some of my clients' uh, work from my design firm. They essentially didn't love anything that I was working on. And, and Laura, who's, who's the, um, the scout who came down, she just said to me, well, I've got two hours before my flight. Um, have you got anything else to show me? And so I kind of said, well, you know, I'm working on this idea, but it's not, it's not investable. It's, it's very early. And I showed her and she promptly said, well, we'll invest in that. Uh, so <laughs> but actually, after she left that night, I went home and Googled what a VC was because I really I, I was not looking, <laughs> not looking to do this. <laughs> that, that's akin to finding out like on the boat what a shark is, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they talked me through step by step what a vc does and how that could help me and and where where we could go if we went down that that route and they were also very kind to me because i refused to shut down my design company so they allowed me to do mm. the, the two at one so i was founding a company uh you know in the afternoon and i was running a design consultancy in the morning um and i can highly unrecommend it just recommend it. <laughs> um, it was a lot of long nights. Um, and as, especially as the tech started to work and, and then I started to need to hire people. Yeah, it was, it was intense. But basically, it, it was very much accidental. I got it to the point where I could prove that I could microwave it. And I think that was a big unlocking, uh, unlocking moment. Uh, and then I hired, uh, and of course, because, because of lockdown and things, really couldn't hire outside of New Zealand. So I've hired very creative engineers, very clever engineers who've had to make up 
a lot of things themselves. So we didn't have the we didn't have anyone who'd ever worked or seen a binder jetting machine. You know, we we kind of had to work that out ourselves. So we just kind of kept building the idea, kept building the technology, and and um, hitting proof points, which was great. And then investors, I guess, would would see that actually there's promise in that. Um, and so it's kind of that's that's how it's grown. We haven't sold a thing yet. We're, we're, I was going to ask what stage you were. <laughs> we're still still pre revenue. We we are at the moment working on our generation two machines, um, which will be which will be ready for people to trial. So we've we've actually just signed for a building in Fremont in California, and we'll be going across there, and that's going to be a demo center. So the the machine will be there. It'll be a try before you buy. You know, come out come out and try the machine, cast some parts for yourself, uh, and see what see Are what they- the what the technology can do for you. What is it, before I forget, what is it with Fremont, California? Because there's fabricators there, right? Or there's like a whole bunch of 3D printing stuff going on there. Was yeah, there, it's or, interesting. So I guess coming from New Zealand and going, we knew that the US, we, we wanted to go to the US first. And I had the whole of the US to look at. And obviously there's, you know, around Boston and the MIT stuff, there's a lot of printing on that side. For us, a lot of it was time zone. California right. is so somewhat closer to New Zealand. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone else is asleep when we're awake. So. Uh, California was yeah. was good from that point of view. It's also got a lot of the the um, EV companies, you know, forward thinking automotive companies, um, which is which has been really good. Have had a lot of uh, a lot of traction on that side. So that that's been for us really important to be close to them. Uh, yeah. So that's it's it's interesting to me that Fremont is becoming a three D printing like place to be. Really, I think it's also probably a place where you can actually afford to have like a bit of a, a, a space the size of a demo center or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, well. I mean, we went to Texas as well and looked and looked at um, at that. There's definitely cheaper on that side, but uh, yeah, it's not. I guess especially coming from New Zealand, nothing in America is cheap. So yeah. Right. No, it's all expensive. <laughs> Ohio. You could have put it in Ohio. Yeah. And, and, and why enter the U.S. market? Is this the biggest market for you? Is it, uh, you know, you could have done China, Europe, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably fairly naively, it was what I thought was one country, one big country, um, and all spoke English. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that would be a good start. I have since found that it's, it's how many states? 52 of them? Yeah, 50 states. <laughs> 50 states. <laughs> um, some territories. So for now, it's 50. <laughs> uh, but for us, the, I mean, the US was big. We, we definitely got very early traction in automotive. Um, and, and especially, as I was saying, this sort of more forward-thinking automotive. Um, and they were based out of the US. And so that's, that kind of made sense to be there first. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's our biggest market. I think it probably is. But um, we just did Form Next in November. And the the reaction we got out of the European companies was massive. So I, I think we're kind of we're going to have to move fast and hire fast. We'd set up and, a showroom in the Netherlands. Uh, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> the Netherlands is great. Tax tax wise, the Netherlands is wonderful. It is. Uh, and it's I'm a nice place to live it. as well. And, and uh, it's so I'm very very keen on that. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, but okay. So and what? So first off, like you're you got some VC money. When did the point get where you started hiring people? We got more interest because at one point you ended up raising like I think it was like eight million dollars or something like that, right? So still like you know you got somebody picking a very early bet on you. There's still quite a path for you to be in a point where somebody's like, oh yeah, we'll give him this guy eight million dollars, right? Very early on, we flipped to being a U.S. company. We we wanted access to U.S. capital, so we are an American company. 
And part of that was, was helped along by Peter Beck from Rocket Lab. So he's the CEO of Rocket Lab. Uh, he's been very instrumental for a lot of Kiwi companies um, trying, to, trying to head uh, global. So we were working with him. And I think having him on board has, has opened a lot of doors for us. So I think, I think being from, from far away uh, possibly is a little bit, uh, you know, a bit daunting to a VC. Like, who are these people? Are they for real? Uh, can, I, can I trust it? Especially when you can't get over and see it, right? So having him on board, I think, for us has opened a lot of doors where, where people are going, okay, well, if Peter Beck's going to back it, then, then I'm involved too. So that was really good. And we got some, some of the investors that actually were early investors in Rocket Lab uh, came on board. Uh, so we, we had our, our um, Series A was led by Promus Ventures um, out of Chicago. Uh, and then we had uh, Founders Fund get involved as well. And I think, I think having some big names like that has also made a lot of difference. Where, where people, I think, can trust more that there's this, there's this odd company in New Zealand that are doing something that's kind of counter to the, what the rest of the 3D printing world is doing. Um, and maybe they're onto something. Yeah. Sure. And if you look at uh, your, your company, what are the advantages here? Because it seems really compelling, but what's like the business case? Or why do people, you said when these companies get excited, why are they excited? Yeah. Okay. So I'm probably going to offend some people. I think, and, and it's what we went to form next with, with the branding of real parts. And, and that was very much on purpose because what we're finding is, is a lot of people are seeing the same pain that I was seeing in that a 3D printed part is, is nothing like what they're actually needing in production. Um, and so, so getting a part that's real um, is massively useful. I mean, it's very, hard to, it's very hard to crash test something that's nothing like what it's going to be in production. Um, so that's been, I think, probably number one. And, and you know, we're doing it, we're, we're casting in the exact same alloys you're using in production. So that, that's been really important. I think the, the other thing that's been really on our side is just the speed. So we are, we are talking about turning around, a, I've got no video to show you, turning around a sort of a fist-sized piece in, in under eight hours easily. So oh, that's you, impressive, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, that, that's from you know, and there is unfortunately in the three D printing industry, people hide a lot of the process, right? They they say, oh well, we can print at X speed, but they don't tell you that there's twenty four or forty eight hours of sintering to happen, or or there's all this post processing, right? Um, and I find that do, really do you need to do post processing on your on your the ceramic pieces on the ceramic pieces? There, there is there is a at the moment it's taking about four hours to to set a mold, so we're essentially setting the binder. Um, we under microwave, so we're just busy building our new microwave. So we'll get that down to about an hour. So there's there's that's print, still very good for for getting a metal part that's centered that acts like it's centered. Yeah, right correct. So so yeah, yeah. The, the whole process, li literally from design freeze, right? When you finish your CAD file to to when the parts in your hand, it, it can be as as quick as eight hours, sometimes faster. And then it depends on how many you want, right? If you want to stack your printer full of parts, it's going to take twenty four hours to to do a a full print bed full of things, but if you're, if you're wanting to right. turn around on a part, you can, you can get that pretty fast. But what you're pitching this at is, is that this is for prototyping purposes at the end of the day, and not manufacturing, yeah, initially. or at least initially. at this stage. Exactly. We had to start somewhere. Um, right. And so you know, even down to the, the bed size that we're printing, it was, it was based around what people could get when I started designing this um, and going, okay, well, we'll be competitive with that for now. Um, and, and it's a machine that, you know, they're, they're not cheap to build. Um, so it's, it's a machine that we could afford to make with the kind of funding we had when we started. 
definitely definitely production is the you know it's the holy grail for for all of the 3d printing companies i think and again probably going to offend some people but none of them will ever reach normal production because they're not making a, a normal part if you need a conventional production part um so that's something we're definitely keen on heading towards is is giving you a, a like for like but at production volumes that that would be perfect there are a lot of people trying to do things uh, like metal tooling and things of that nature, which yeah. are, you know, to get the tooling faster for the end product. So it's not, but you're not wrong. I think that the, there are very few processes that are currently available on the market that can be finished product. There are some, but there are not a ton. So. I, th I think the thing in the end is, it, now if you're wanting a satellite part out of titanium that's you know, ultra lightweight and has got sort of um, waffle structures in it and all the rest, that's not us. That, that's not who we're after. And I think you need to go to 3D printing for that. But if, if you're making a normal part, which is 99% of, of the parts that are being built, you know, you're wanting something that's, that's maybe less spacey and, and it's a door handle or it's a, it's a faucet lever or, or whatever it is. That's that's the kind of thing that we're doing, and that's that's where it doesn't make sense to three D print, right? You, you're not going to spend ten thousand dollars on a on a prototype door handle. We'll get it to you for fifty bucks. It's kind of a, a different market. So we there are there's some crossover where I feel that we compete with three D printing, but but a lot of the time, we actually are a casting technology. We've we're harnessing three D printing to get there, um, and and to my mind, it's the much bigger market than, than, than the niche. So it's something I'm pretty excited about. It might be uh, less sexy, but um, it is, uh, it's just a massive industry, right? And who do you think, I mean, you mentioned automotive, but who do you think are the other kind of early adopter industries that are going to come in wanting to use this? I mean, you, you really think it's just everyone that's making anything involving casting. Or yeah, is it, it is. But uh, <laughs> so we we went to Formnext and we got asked quite a lot if when because we weren't selling machines at Formnext, right? We got asked that question quite a lot. Why why are you here? Um, and the the one of the one of the big reasons for us was who actually wants this? So go, going to Formnext for us was was really fantastic because certain industries definitely came out of the woodwork for us. So we knew automotive from the start. They've been interest, interested from the start. Um, and, and our expectation was that it was going to be automotive and industrial hardware. Um, what we hadn't realized was the consumer electronics market being so interested in it. Um, oh. And so that's been, that's been I guess, really eye-opening for us that actually there's this whole, there's a whole other world that does use die casting. Um, yeah. But I just never, never really thought that they would, need, they would need to test it in the ways that they're needing to test things. Um, so that's been really interesting. So yeah, I guess I guess industrial hardware and automotive is, is two huge big pieces. Um, but we're finding more and more other, you know, even architectural hardware. So it is like, it is interesting. Like testing a bracket or something of that nature to make yeah, sure that correct. actually yeah yeah. On the on the consumer electronics side, is it is it like motherboard casings and stuff like you know like the metal parts that are going into the electronics side? Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. a lot of it. A lot of it, the interest is around thermal dissipation. So we're talking heat sinks. Ah, we're yeah, talking yeah. frames. And, and that, that again, comes back to the fact that you can't test it if you haven't done it in the right alloy and it doesn't have the right crystalline structure. It, right. It, it's, it's not going to give you the same results. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you get close, but it's not telling you the exact thing. Um, and so what we're giving people is, I guess, without committing to all the tooling, you get the part and you, and you can keep tweaking it every day if you want to and, until you get it right. And is there a lim upper limit on these molds? Like, if, if yeah. I'm 
if you sell one of these machines and I have one in my office, can I just you know, make a million uh, or use it a million times? Or is there, no. I mean, it must wear, right? It, it, it does wear. Tooling it, it, wears, so it's got to wear. <laughs> the, the best that we've got so far has been 20 shots. And that that is a, a shape that's been designed specifically, lots of draft. It's very um, casting friendly. I think I think we're definitely not getting that all the time. And that's something that we're still developing is, is trying to get, trying to get more shots out of a tool. Um, and what, yeah, what does happen is because you are using a ceramic and it's a powdered ceramic um, is you do get wear. So your, your accuracy on your part uh, gets, gets worse and worse. Um, and then as well, if you've got, if you've got really fine features, we, you know, we have a tendency to break fins and things if, if you've got really fine features. Right. That makes sense. But, but I guess our, luckily for us, our typical, typical customer uh, is designing for die casting. So they, they know, they know what would normally work in a die casting tool. I, I guess, sorry to, to harp on about it, but the, the, other nice, the other nice thing about it though is that um, the system works whether you've put draft angle in or not, right? You, you can have really bad undercuts. You can, you can make a part that's uncastable because we're printing in powder. It's self-supporting. Your, your mold can do whatever you want your mold to do and the system will work. It just means then you can't remove it. So you have to break the mold to get it back out. So then, you, then you're ending up much more in sort of X1 you know, or voxel jet territory where you've got breakout molds, um, which, is, which is completely fine, right? It's still extremely fast. Uh, you maybe don't get multiple shots, but it's still uh, very cost effective. And, and so what's the development path that you're going to, you're saying, okay, the second version of the machine, that's going to be open for evaluation. What's going to happen after that? Or what do you hope to happen after that? Yeah. Okay. Great. So, um, so we had a, a recently a round led by Blackbird, Australian uh, VC company, and um, GD One involved in that as well. Um, and so that's that's given us a, a bunch of cash runway. We've we've just topped that up. So we've got, um, I guess, global recession coming. So we so we thought we'd uh, get safe there. Um, and so that's given us lots of time to develop this generation two machine. Um, the the plan is. Generation two, get them out there, get people using them, um, maybe try and sell a few as, as uh, early adopters. Um, and the, the team and I are, are straight into generation three. Uh, so learning off what, what generation two does. But generation three will be open for um, you know, proper production sales. So we're, we're, we're working at this moment in uh, Q124 as having machines ready for sale. Um, so that, that will be... That'll be plan one. Uh, in, the, in the meantime, we're also starting to look at the uh, sort of bigger machines and going towards the production. So there's a, a whole lot of R&D going on uh, for, for the further machines. But, but the machine that people can get hold of and, and actually use should be uh, early 24. And are you going to be doing a service as well? Or is it just going to be you hope to sell machines straight away or going to be a hybrid kind of thing? Or? The plan is to sell machines. Um, it was really interesting. The some of the feedback at Formnext was there was there was a very big desire for a service bureau. Um, my preference would be not to compete with with my customers. So I would I would far rather have service bureaus buy the machine and service all the companies that we've been talking to, rather than um, rather than set up our own bureau and compete with the very people that we're trying to sell machines to. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you can. Well, you can enable them. Like, for for example, Aos now and Velo three D and uh, Robos, uh, they have like partner networks essentially, right? Where they 
you know, they offer a service or they have, you know, they basically promote their partners that offer a service kind of thing. There's other hybrid ways of doing this as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pl- plenty to look at. And and as as part of the materials and stuff, are you going to expand the material? What materials are possible now? And what are you like going to, are you going to stick to that? Because like the volumes are so hard, like so big, you really don't need like a lot more materials, right? Or Sorry, US market, aluminum, aluminum, aluminum. We we started on on aluminum, uh, and that was mostly just down to that that was to us the biggest market. Um, you know, there's a lot of light weighting in automotive, a lot of, a lot of move towards diecast aluminum rather than steels. So we put a lot of work into that. Um, we're also using zinc, so um, and that's also I guess another another fairly big diecasting um, metal. We just started running um, copper-based alloys, so uh, silicon bronzes, silicon brass, um, and that's kind of on the edge of what our what our um, materials can handle. So around a thousand degrees Celsius, two thousand Fahrenheit, uh, anything under that will work. Magnesium is a very interesting one, and there's a lot of interest in it. Um, so we're we're looking at doing that um, soon. We've we've run some stainless steel trials. Uh, and it does work. It's it's very hot. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen stainless steel going, but there's, there's sparks and and flares and all sorts as it melts. It's um yeah, it's quite it's quite an interesting one to try and contain. Um, so definitely heading towards those ones as well, though. So the, the system essentially, if 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 we can get the temperatures high enough, the system will work. So if the if the metal melts, yeah, let's run it. Um, but I think we want to make sure that we're we're delivering quality product that that's reliable. So we don't want to run too quickly into doing you know magnesium, which is has a tendency to want to to burn. We want to do everything properly. So aluminium, zinc um, are, are probably the ones that we're going to launch on. You know, that's going to be commercially available first. Yeah, and that given the, okay, given the size of these markets, just only only aluminum and zinc that's going to be huge, right? I mean, it's going to be not not only and are you going to target like, you know, one machine at all the big companies? Or are you really looking for people that to take a whole bunch of machines from you? Or what's the, what's the, th- the feeling there? Yeah, that's also been really interesting. In, in that when I started this, it was purely as a prototype machine. We've had companies that we're talking to who, who shocked me when, you know, let, let's say they're looking at doing um, uh, replacement parts for for um, outdated vehicles or um, outdated machinery. So you've got um, end of life machines, let's say, um, and and they're doing quantities that are not enough to require die casting, but probably too much for prototyping. So there's this there's this really interesting gap in the market. You know, where, where yeah. die casting you you want ten thousand of, and and printing will get you to a couple of hundred. Um, and so there is this really interesting area where, where customers are saying to us, oh, we would buy several um, and just line them up. Um, and, and I guess that's, it wasn't my initial, uh, initial expectation of what people would be using the machines for. Long story short, there's a, there's a mixture. I think there's going to be a lot of one-off machines to R&Ds, you know, at the R&D departments of Big companies, big manufacturers, and then and then I think there will be a fair amount of small production facilities. Yeah, because especially in MRO, right? I could really see this as like kind of having, kind of imagine you could stock the molds and then have like a library of replacement parts for like one to five hundred or something like this. 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. uh, that that to me would mean that you can have an MRO center that would be faster than printing and cheaper than printing and have more characteristics to the part that they're replacing. Uh, and then you yeah, can exactly. make like so, a library of molds and have like, you know, you, you know, it's over the lifetime. If you, if you, if it makes sense for 500 shots or something like that, or whatever is the, the price thing, it's over the lifetime of the part. Right. So yeah, to me, it's, it's really exciting for MRO and I really would like it for like, like lower volume manufacturing, also quicker, like series of a hundred. If you think about it, how long, like, especially if you're taking like, like something like a, a combustion engine or whatever, like a longer, larger part to print that in a powder bed fusion machine would take like several weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it would be shorter with your system, then that kind of a part, that kind of massive stuff that uh, would be much, much cheaper as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think there's a real opportunity in MRO and for oil and gas, for the military, for, 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 for anyone kind of transport like, hubs. Yeah. Yeah, things exactly. of that nature. and yeah. especially this library of molds right so if you would then use the top thousand parts right the unique part you'd still print it if it's only really one right yep. if you're ever yep. going to only do one but if you know you're going to do 500 across the next three years and you know you could do 500 shots of one mold or whatever slog or whatever you call it um then yeah then the economics will add up to do that in 10 different places in 10 different countries and then then just make all your top 100 parts or whatever you know yeah exactly yeah Right. So to yeah. me, that that, but again, for a certain geometry, of course, because certain other geometries, you'll have other stuff that makes sense. Like you know, for smaller parts, I can imagine that just straight up binder jet would be much cheaper as well, uh, and also depending on the finishing and stuff like that. But I really like it for the you know MRO, you know, generally. Um, and and is it difficult for you? Well, so now, now, how big are you guys? You don't have to tell us exactly, but like in terms of staff and stuff like that. And yeah, so so only fifteen of us at the moment. Um and desperately trying more so so <laughs> always on the lookout for hires i think i mean we we were definitely hamstrung in that this country just locked down uh, you couldn't get in or out um so we are yeah def definitely looking for more people all the time um and so yeah and especially with the with the move into the into the states as well wanting to grow sales teams there and service you know, service technicians and um so always on the lookout to grow can I can I put a plug out there? If there's any microwave, uh, you know, RF, <laughs> RF engineers that are into um, RF high temperature, um, we desperately need more of those. So really, and is that like a really specific thing? What is that like? A uh, it, it's very specific. Yeah. So so a, a lot it's of like RF thermo is, plus microwave. <laughs> it's, it's RF is normally communication. There, there seems to be very few that are into RF heating. Yeah, I can't imagine um. why. <laughs> okay okay all right so that's the same thing but can you relocate people does that, I mean, imagine you have somebody that approaches you is it possible for that person to work in new zealand because i know that a lot of my friends would be like it's one of the countries that pops up and like oh i'd really like to go there i'd really like to live there my sister lived there one of my sisters lived there for half a year she says it was amazing you know so it, it seems like it could be attractive for people but it seems like the barrier would be very high but is that even possible or yeah absolutely so we can get people in um, so we can get special certification for it, which we're working on at the moment. But we can definitely get people in from from virtually anywhere in the world. Um, and it is it's it's paradise here. <laughs> it's true. Okay, Zone okay, is this is good. You've got me like, <laughs> what is this engineering thing I need to learn? <laughs> you should look for a radar technician for radar uh, engineers. Yeah, yep. Google that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I'll just there you go. I've solved your problem yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to find. <laughs> 
<laughs> good luck. Good, good, good luck getting that U.S. visa, right? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, Google a lot of like three D printing and then radar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna make your entry in the United States really special. Um, yeah, very no, unique. Uh, uh, but and where are you guys in New Zealand? Where, where are you guys exactly? We're in Wellington, which is the bottom of the North Island. Um, okay, okay. Right, right in the middle. It's the capital. Okay, I have no idea about New Zealand, really. Like, literally, like, Lord of the Rings comes from there and you make a lot of cheese. I know nothing. There you go. So, so Lord of the Rings and, was sheep. Don't was forget the sheep. And it's like walking in a window. It's like living in a window's background. Um, uh, yeah, p- pretty much. Pretty much. So I was actually, I was born in South Africa, so I was an, an import to New Zealand. And it is, I can say as an outsider, it is just an, an incredible place. Incredible place to live. Extremely okay. beautiful and like, really wonderful people, so. Um, okay, okay. De- definitely come across here. What, was and, Dutch and, at one point too? Yeah, and 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 so for you, it's like it seems like you've been on quite the journey in a really short time, right? I mean, it's it's 15 people, still a manageable company, I think. Uh, but hey, w- was it difficult for you to grow from being? Well, first off, you had to let go, right? You were the guy doing everything, and then all of a sudden, you have to say, "Okay, Sarah, you can do this now." You know, was yeah. it difficult to do that? And was it difficult to kind of manage people and all this stuff? Or it's been a it's been a learning experience, right? So I was running the design consultancy, but that was you know two or three of us you know, with contractors. Um, so never never a big team. Um, it has been it's been an interesting journey, and, and especially I think solo founder. I understand now why VCs don't like that, and it is it is definitely hard to let go when you when you've been involved in the tech and the management and and the whole lot, and you are the sales department. And yes. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey from that perspective, and and I think I've got myself tired enough to to need help, um, and so I think that's probably quite healthy now that we're we're getting people into who are specialists in areas. Um, definitely, it's hard to try and do the whole lot constantly. Um, yeah. But I think as well, yeah, you know, hiring in New Zealand is um, is fantastic. You tend to have people who are very adaptable because we have to be. Um, but we also have a, I, I guess, a lack of specialists, and and so that's that's been a tricky one, and and trying to find people, trying to you know trying to find a binding jet, binder jetting engineer, yeah. hard, it's hard to find that in a in a small country that has no binder jetting. Are you try some mim? Do you have mim? Uh, we do have yeah, we do have mim, and we're working with some some mim people. Yeah, cause that's yeah, that's a lot of this stuff, <laughs> a lot of the problem <laughs> stuff. What's it like making the leap from New Zealand worldwide, right? So how does that work? I mean, because you know, we we just seem it's remote. You got this time zone issue. Is that also difficult? Is it kind of like, or or you know, do you think you solved it with that U.S. office? I think the U.S. office is is a very good start for that. Um, I think the reality is that that I I will be traveling a lot. Uh, I already do travel a lot. Um, you know, trying to trying to make it in in front of customers and in in their markets. Um, and I think that's just a reality that most New Zealanders have learned that that we are miles away from everyone else, and and therefore you travel, um, and that that's all right. That's just that's just the way we have to deal with it. And and I think as well, you know, we we will be lucky to sell more than one or two machines in New Zealand. So we just have to be globally focused. That's that's how it is from the start here. No, no, I think it's the same. I'm Dutch, right? We all know that, you know, there's no domestic markets, right? Yeah. Uh, but we have the added <laughs> advantage of being close to like uh, the Germans and all these big things. But that's, yeah, you know, you need to internationalize because there's nothing in your country. In America, you have the luxury of saying, well, we'll go, you know, we'll just stay here, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, and so how about like, like, um, you know, for, for what do you hope to achieve just in the next five years? Where do you hope to be like, like if you for a fast forward five years from now? There's, there's, there's a major component, which I can't tell you. Um, but, but I think what, what we've discovered in, in the process, in our process, there are some, some very interesting unlocking features that allow us to do some things that no one else can do. So I, I think a bit more of a focus, maybe less of a focus on trying to mimic uh, a diecast um, and more of a focus on actually there's some amazing stuff that this technology can do um, that, that maybe doesn't fit as neatly in, into a market as saying, well, here's a diecast equivalent, but um, building in towards that saying, well, with our system, this is now possible. Uh, you can now do, and, and it's typically around size, right? The, we we can cast some stuff at, at sizes that are not normally normally castable. Uh, you, you know, sorry, <laughs> waffling here. Um, Ooh. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the level of detail that you would expect from a die casting, but at a much much bigger size, right? Um, mm-hmm. is, is something that we're able to do uh, in theory, and it's something we'll definitely be focusing on. I think. Um, so that, that's that's one area. The, the other other thing that I guess we're in five years' time is is getting closer towards that production. I think it's been a really interesting, especially talking with VCs. There's the um, the question that comes up every time is like, well, is this the end of diecasting? Are, are you going to knock diecasting out? Um, and and the answer is always no. Like diecasting spits out a part every every hundred and twenty seconds or, or less. Um, you know, it's it's this is not a this is not the end of diecasting, but this does allow you to do some things that die casting can't do or the 3D printing can't do. And so uh, production of very unique um, castings is, is probably an area that we'll be growing towards. Is that sufficiently masked so that no one knows yeah, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. You, good you luck. Also, that, you want to grow good. as a yeah. human being and do something <laughs> vague, but... <laughs> Oh, that's good. good. Um, okay, that's good. Um, but th- thank you for this, uh, David. This is a, the wonderful story. I think. I think. Uh, uh, I think you guys have got a really exciting technology. I think. Uh, I think, especially for MRO and then short run production and stuff like this, and and uh, for military oil and gas, I think it'll be really exciting. And just generally, yeah, die casting. You don't. You only. You don't. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's nice that you tell people like we're not going to kill die casting because it's such a huge market. At the same time, you only need a little bit of that for this to be an extremely lucrative thing <laughs> yeah exactly i mean it's 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 such a it's a massive market yeah. I'd, I'd say right now i want one of the machines because <laughs> <laughs> i want to try different well, heater, come heater to masses free, and stuff like that come to fremont <laughs> in march and, and have a look i will <laughs> okay hey thank you so much for being here today david this is wonderful Brilliant. max joris thank you so much for your time uh and max thank you for being here as always Always, Joris. Fantastic time. And thank you for listening. Uh, This is another episode of the 3D Pod, and uh, you have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.